What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. If you've already heard about the two great companies which support this show, CoinKite and River, skip ahead 70 seconds. If not, permit me that time to tell you why they might be of interest to you. CoinKite offers the products you need to securely store and use your Bitcoin. Recent events have once again shown, for many painfully, why it's so important to get your Bitcoin off exchanges or any other third party and take custody of them yourself. Do not wait to be another victim of their incompetent, fraudulent, or malicious behavior. The whole point of Bitcoin is to eliminate counterparty risk and avail of the unique freedom which that provides. The cold card is a time-tested, Bitcoin-only hardware wallet for doing just that. Taking self-custody may seem intimidating at first, but there are many resources available to guide you every step of the way and help you to experience just how empowering and liberating taking back control of your money can be. To get more info about their excellent lineup of products, visit coinkite.com. River allows you to securely buy Bitcoin, zero fee dollar cost average, and purchase hosted mining rigs. Also, their Lightning service enables developers and companies to integrate Lightning payments into their applications without having to run any Lightning infrastructure themselves. I recommend River because of their dedication to service, stellar team, and custom approach to building a next-generation financial services business on Bitcoin. To get started, visit river.com today. Let's do it. Rick Starr, how are you, man? Looking forward yeah, to I'm this. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Jeez, massive honor. Um, I'd say probably like top three podcasts I've ever listened to. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I did... Uh, I was doing some maths the other day and I worked out that I've actually listened to more podcasts in terms of time spent than I have in my five years doing engineering. Wow. No, I mean, it's, it's nuts. And this I is mean, in the top three. Th so that, well, thank you. That, that's an honor for me, but um, that is crazy, but I think it's like many of us, you know, um, once you start falling down the rabbit hole, all this stuff becomes so compelling. And sure, there's a lot of repetition. And I think that's particularly becoming the case now, perhaps. I'd love to ask you a little bit about that as we go forward. But, you know, the, this thing is so foreign in Bitcoin and the implications are so broad that you're just like, you, the, your appetite is insatiable for figuring out ways to contextualize and understand it, you know? And so you end up, you know, doing like 20 hours a week in, in podcasts and reading all the articles and listening to Guy Swan and, and reading the books. I mean, it's just, it's such a, it's such a deep rabbit hole. It's, so I think nuts. we all, you know, are kind of in the same position that you were in. Absolutely nuts. I mean, like, I think for me, it was uh, first falling down the money rabbit hole, then, well, the investing rabbit hole, then the money rabbit hole, then the gold rabbit hole. And then the Bitcoin one, and then I was my appetite just got like you said so insatiable for knowledge. Um, and then at one point I found myself like, funny enough, in, inundated with Bitcoin knowledge, like the sort of the technical side of things. And I was just like I was searching for something else, uh, maybe a bit more like the philosophical side of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And that's when I think I found your podcast at first. And I mean, you you like to go down that route and. Uh, that that was amazing for me like the sort of bitcoin fixes this meme kind of comes to mind there yeah i mean it's definitely the <clears throat> i'm obviously not on the more technical side of things uh but I, I certainly appreciate those that are but you know to me it's just it's where the interest or the, the curiosity naturally flows because i often say like if something isn't relevant in terms of how it impacts behavior then 
how can you say that it's relevant? Basically, you know, the, the when we talk about all these things being changed or fixed or what have you, I mean, they're that way because they're inspiring some sort of different behavior or allowing some sort of different behavior in us. And, you know, the phenomenon that, that, that draws so much of my attention is the, the observation that that seems to be the case. You know, you look around at Bitcoiners who have, who are on the rabbit hole journey. And I mean, they, they'll, they explicitly say all the time that they've changed their perspective on a lot of things over the course of trying to understand this thing. And then that, that's, obviously led into changes in behavior, which has generated changes in their life and their lifestyle, which has caused changes in their, you know, their ambitions and their perceptions of progress and, you know, what they see their future as. And so, you know, it becomes one, an all-encompassing change and two, what seems to be incredibly positive. And so what could be more compelling than trying to understand what it is that can uh, uh, inspire such a change like that, you know, and then you wind up in the deep, because the, and everything prior to this that's generated that kind of a change has been in the realm of the deeply philosophical or theological discussions, you know, or objects or ideas. And so how can we not wind up there if we're really trying to figure out, like, why the hell is this thing so powerful, basically? Yeah, it really hits you at your core, like it brings you down, you sort of, you start questioning I started questioning myself on everything. Like my, my, I mean, like everyone says that come on here, like they've all been down, they've all gone through such immense changes. I mean, I, I can't even describe myself four years ago. Uh, it well, it would give, be the give, complete opposite. Give it a whirl. I'd, I'd like, I'd be interested because, you know, we talk about <laughs> that, we talk about that fiat self, right? And again, like there's yeah. this clear, I mean, the demarcation point may not be clear because it's a gradual, albeit intense progress. But at this point, many people can look back and say, there was the fiat version of me and there was the Bitcoin or liberated or however you want to characterize it, rabbit hole version of me. And they're distinctly different. And uh, that in itself is a very kind of bizarre phenomenon, but it's so consistent and it's so consistently positive that, you know, I think it's deserving of, of attention. So, I mean, I don't want you to share stuff that you're not comfortable sharing, but like what, what was kind of your journey of uh, immolating the fiat self and being reborn into Bitcoin as it were? Well, so, I mean, I'm, I'm actually open to sharing pretty much anything. Um, it's a philosophy I've started to take. Like, uh, so I went down um, when I first started university, I got diagnosed with depression and um this is quite a it was kind of a long story i'll make it short but um no, we effectively got, we got the effectively the doctor the the psychologist couldn't help me work out what my problem was and she was just like look i'll send you to a, a doctor he's going to prescribe you some some meds uh, mm -hmm. she drew me a little a little diagram of a ship with two islands saying what the meds are going to do this is escitalopram or uh i think that's an snri um and effectively the little my little boat is not going from one island to the other uh so not carrying that sort of uh signal right and so what the pill is going to do is it's going to it's going to give the boat more gas and it'll get it to the other side or, or help it get to the other side what's a what's an that, snri just for clarity i think it's a snri which is a serotonin non-reuptake inhibitor i think okay. i was on that one uh, okay i can't remember now but um so i was like oh cool you know 19 years old i definitely feel like i had a problem uh i'll give it a go and then i went to the doctor 
And the doctor told me, yeah, take these for like six weeks, um, see how you are, um, consult with the psychologist and, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there. And I was like, okay, cool. I went back uh, six weeks time. It, it, it really helped me. Um, I, I'd say in that mindset back then, mm -hmm. it really helped me right now. I disagree completely. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what it did was just numb me. Um, so anyway, so I went, I went back to, and I was like, this is really helping, you know, I can cope with class now. I can cope with other factors in my life, you know, no, no ups and downs, no peaks and troughs. Mm -hmm. Um, and so she said, well, that's, that's good. Like, I mean, don't worry the, the, this pill works like a vitamin when your body's, you know, used enough of it, it excretes the rest and, you know, your body's clever enough to deal with it. That was the, that was the messaging I got around this. Number one, that your body's just going to excrete it. Number two, it's not, you know, nothing to worry about. And it's just a short time. Little did I know. Develop a dependency. <laughs> That's where I'm getting to. Right, so right. little did I know this was going to have, it's, it's honestly been the hardest thing I've ever had to do was to kick that drug. And I took it for six years because every single time I tried to come off of it, I went cold turkey. The doctor didn't tell me that I had to, um, I had to wean myself off this drug. I had no idea. I mean, no clue what was going on. Mm -hmm. um, so every time I came off, I had these like incredibly dark thoughts and dark behaviors and things. And and every now and then I'd like, I'd check myself and I'd be like, you know, <laughs> uh, what am I saying that for? And mm -hmm. I didn't realize that this was uh, the, the profound effects that these drugs had on my brain. Uh, they they change you when you come off of it. Like, and so. Or who's saying that? There's another valid question. Like, what is that voice? Yeah. That's yeah. Saying all that <laughs> fucked up shit. You know, that's like, not me. That's I not don't me. identify with that. <laughs> no, you know, and, uh, and so eventually, I mean, this six years down the line, I, um, after trying to come off three times, uh, one whilst crossing the ocean, the Atlantic ocean, uh, that was horrendous. In yeah. In a boat in a 80 foot sail yacht. Wow. Um, uh, yeah, that was pretty bad. And then, yeah, I read a book. Who was it? I can't remember who it was by, but it was like the, the sort of effects of antidepressants and how to come off of them. And I read all of this and, and it just, it completely blew my mind at, at how, um, at how much this doctor didn't tell me. Mm. And then if you go and watch uh, Dope Sick, uh, I don't know if you've seen Dope Sick. No. Man, that puts into, that puts, uh, it puts the opioid pandemic into, or not pandemic, that uh, epidemic right. um, into, like it really shows you what's going on there uh, in America. And it really, and that for me just showed me how the doctors get, um, effectively lobbied i mean they they go through they go to conferences and you know everything's paid for and at the conference mm -hmm. all these sales reps tell them this is how the drug works and you know don't worry about it like do this like the 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 opioid one is is pretty bad because they lied to the doctors um they told them don't worry that you know that this will help for the pain if they experience more pain it's probably breakthrough pain so you double their <laughs> you double their uh, prescription and it's just the most addictive thing in the world. Like it's, it's crazy. So, you know, that there's just one comment on it, that, that was one thing during the pandemic that, I, you know, the, this clever use of language. So in that case, breakthrough pain, right. Which really means it ain't working. And exactly. during the pandemic, we had these breakthrough infection infections and they were, you know, in, basically 
super common. Like, you know, everyone, the, the vaccine obviously didn't stop you from becoming infected. And, but they use this term breakthrough to suggest that it's unusual or that it's like, you know, it's not supposed to happen or it's not, you shouldn't expect it to happen. And, and it's not breakthrough is a, is usually used in a positive light. So it doesn't convey a sense of like not working or malfunction. It convey like, it's both, it's both vague and suggests infrequency when the fact is it's a sign of malfunction and it's incredibly frequent, but this is, you know, one, obviously just one example of how the language is so perverted that allow, you know, uh, intentionally basically, but anyways, yeah, go on. intentionally, I think. Yeah. So anyway, so that, that basically drew me back. Uh, and I've, I've had a lot of reflection on it and I actually don't blame the doctor or the psychologist for, for that, because I mean, if you think about it, like the, we're so, I don't know. I think we're, we're sick as a civilization. So much conspires against us, you know, in every domain, media, everything, medical, everything. financial, everything. Everything. So Bitcoin lends on everything is yeah, a scam exactly. around me. Like it's, <laughs> exactly. it's nuts. Like, um, <laughs> well, let's, so I I mean, yeah. well, I mean, let's, let's pick it apart because I think it's useful to do so, or at least pick it apart a little bit. I mean, first of all, as you say, the pharmaceutical companies have a tremendous amount of wealth. And part of that is because of the regulatory capture and the jacking up of prices and the monopolies and all that kind of stuff. So then they have the the, the wealth to wine and dine and schmooze all the doctors, right? And to make so, the rules. Right, exactly. And set set the the uh, treatment this, protocols. Exactly. Right? So it's like, for this illness, this is the, the medicine. And it creates an entire aura that that's what medicine is or sorry i shouldn't say medicine that's the drug so for this yeah, condition yeah. that's the drug and that becomes the paradigm of medicine and then they wine and dine the doctors and everyone looks above board and everyone's nice and normal person and so it, it normalizes everything and then the doctors are have a uh, standard of care effectively that that emerges around that and so above anything else what that incentivize that provides them um cover Basically, you know, because doctors are very apprehensive about stepping outside of the lane because they know, you know, someone could sue them. And if they if they're being sued because they stepped outside of the 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 normal lane of things, then they're going to have a big problem on their hands. But if they just stayed in the normal lane, then, you know, they have a, a, a very viable defense to, you know, to to push back against those things. So you have all those things uh, conspiring to have the doctors kind of diagnose and, and prescribe in a certain way. Then you have the fact that doctors are typically uh, have to see too many patients, right? They, ha they have to, you know, churn through however many in the course of a day. So they don't have that much time to spend with each individual patient to really analyze, you know, the totality of their life and their health and their physiology and their psychological state and really, really assess the person. You know, they zero in on one particular aspect or, or, or function or pathology of the person. And so, and, you know, that's made even worse in the socialized medical systems, which, you know, many in the world are at least quasi that. And so you have, and well, so those alone are enough to make it so that the patient is not getting a very high standard of care and they are not being addressed as a full, you know, symbiotic organism they're being treated you know um as a machine almost and as a as a very a very isolated approach to problems occurring in that machine and no wonder that when you have all those different forces and i'm sure there are many more and I'll, if, if there's any you're thinking of uh, please let me know but 
no wonder that the individuals that are subject to that care are having suboptimal outcomes and results because that's that that's a horrible a horrible system of incentives that generate poor treatments that generate poor interactions so no no wonder people are getting spit out of that system you know confused and worse off and you know not knowing where to turn to for help and worse off by design because i think then you come back into the system looking for another cure and the system or the pharmaceutical system feeds on you once more. So it's, it's almost like an exponential income for them, you know, mm-hmm, make mm-hmm. you sick in the beginning, cure your, and, and like you were saying, so the, I think doctors fix the symptoms, you know, like you, you said, treat you like a machine. Oh, there's, you know, a little bit something wrong over here. Uh, we'll just fix that. There's a cool drug for that. And it takes it away. But really what's happening is the, the, the underlying problem is you're sick. Yeah. <laughs> You're just sick. And and there's so many factors, diet, uh, lifestyle, like uh, even thoughts, fair, like loneliness, like everything, totally. like and to be everything fair, affects your, yeah. To be fair to the doctors, most people only want the bad symptom, symptoms to go away. They yes. don't want to deal with all that other shit. So when they go into the doctor's office, they say, hey, I have a pain. I have a this, I have a that. Make it go away. And the, the entire incentive st- structure that the doctors are nestled within is is directed at doing that you know so it, it, we we can't put all the blame on the latter you know blame no, does exactly. have to be to be be put on the patients and how they approach their own health you know and this is kind of the the theme with bitcoin is that people are so much taking responsibility back for themselves like they're taking more individual responsibility and part of that obviously has to do with health and it's not just you know waiting till you get sick and then showing up at the doctor and say hey this is wrong with me. Fix it. Go away. It's, it's, it's disruptive in my life. And, you know, I don't want to deal with it. It's like, well, I mean, are you managing all the other aspects of your health? Because obviously it's all connected. You know, nobody wants to hear very few people want to do that. So again, as much as I, I do think the pharmaceutical companies, the regulators, the doctors are culpable for a lot, you know, it takes two to tango basically. Yeah. Well, and responsibility definitely comes into it. Like, and that's one thing that, uh, so right, coming right back to my initial story where I said I speak about everything now is because mm. uh, instead of just going to a psychologist, paying some money for somebody to listen to you, um, I kind of believe that the, that you, you know, depression and things like that, there's an underlying issue, there's trauma in your past, you know, something has triggered a... A, a, a sort of a block in your brain or a, or an addiction to something alcoholism mm. and and things like that pretty much stem from trauma mm. and so i figured like okay um the drug didn't work well it did work but i hated my life i mean i was i was just flat you know there was no sadness there was no happiness there was nothing it was just i was a an npc effectively right. um and so i just decided like okay i'm gonna instead of internalizing everything, I'll rather externalize it. Um, and regardless of what the feedback is, at least it's feedback. It doesn't right, matter, right. right? At the end of the day, it's like, you could listen to me and you could call me an asshole for going off these drugs or, 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 or you could say, no, I really feel your pain or, mm. or, you know, any kind of response is a response and it triggers some form of dialogue, which then either you go deeper or not, or, you know, it just, it carries you somewhere. Mm. And I really think talking about it is just, it's, it's the best form of therapy. Like just externalize it, put it out there and see what happens, you know? 
I think you 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 defang it first of all by talking about it like that because when you when you keep something so much to yourself and when you're so afraid of releasing it out into the wild, I mean, it becomes like something that eats you alive from the inside. You know, this 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 little ball of fear just grows and grows and grows and grows until it kind of consumes you, and it's like always behind the veil of of your eyes and it's 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 impacting negatively everything you do whereas if at, at a minimum you can just get it out there and talk then it's it's not as scary anymore it's not as mysterious it's not as it's it's not working it's uh destructive it's not you're not having a destructive effect beneath the surface at least if it's going to have a destructive effect right it's it's out up in the surface and i think what most people find when they do that is one people appreciate it too. Many people can relate because everyone has some sort of darkness inside that's, you know, that they think is, shouldn't be there, let's say. Um, and three, I think that's the only way, you know, you mentioned being an NPC as a result of kind of having flat emotions. You know, one of my motivations for doing this when I started, one was I was just incessantly thinking about Bitcoin and I needed to, I needed an outlet for it all. But another one was like, who knows if your perspective is optimal, if it's truthful, let's say. And you want to know that because presumably to engage the world most fruitfully, a truthful perspective is what's required to interface with the truth of the world and then determine a, a way forward. And I mean, how does one, especially in today, you know, in this day and age with all the social media algorithms influence every, influencing everything, like how do you know? That the way you're seeing the world and the ideas and the philosophies and the perspectives you have are are as uh truthful as they could be and for me one of the answers to that is well you can't really know but one way of gaining more data to your point is to putting your perspective out there yeah right and seeing and seeing what kind of feedback comes back on it because you're probably gonna some of that feedback is probably going to contain insight onto your blind spots, you know, or on your perspective, like you did stuff that you didn't know you were representing or, or conveying or communicating. And, you know, it takes courage to do that for sure, because, you know, oftentimes we, we shy away from our imperfections. But I think if you have a, if you have a reverence for truth, you're going to engage in the things that, uh, Bring more, <laughs> well, yeah, but bring more of it to you, or at least give you the opportunity to bring more of it into your life. And yeah, having these types of public discourses, I think, are a very uh, powerful way of of doing that. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, also uh, something I'm thinking about recently, or at least over the last few months, is, uh, and I say it a lot, is to myself, is checking my bias, um, and like you said having these you know public debates and things like that is the best way to check your bias go mm -hmm. up argue like i i'm really love it i love debating i love arguing and i also i'm not afraid to be wrong i like i don't mind it i'll 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 be pretty stubborn with my argument because i believe you should be if you do believe in something right. you may as well run with it yeah. until someone can prove you wrong like why not you know well rep it to the fullest and that's the only way to make sure that if it's defeated you know it's validly defeated, let's say, you know, and that you can, you can adopt the, whatever idea has overcome it or defeated it. I think that's yeah, right. And, and take that defeat with humility and mm. make the change, you know, like it's another thing is like, I, f I feel like change has got such a negative connotation, but thanks to Bitcoin change is now amazing to me. I think, I think everyone should embrace change. Like you, you're going down 
a certain path, you find something wrong on that path, you must make a change. To keep mm-hmm. going down that path is literally the definition of insanity. Like, yeah, when you know something is different, well, you know something is wrong. Um, so, yeah, I mean, take the change with humility, make the change, and move on, and then and you, you know carry on with your your journey. But you know, I agree, and but I th- I do think this because I want to ask you how Bitcoin has influenced this this process for you and your experiences. But I do think this is one of the ways in which. Bitcoin emboldens people to do that because it gives them such a greater sense of security and confidence about the future that you can let go of some of the apprehension you have about the identity or the ideas or whatever you've you've so far created to inter, to interface with the world to interact with the world and to get what you want out of it. You know, Bitcoin is basically a mechanism for helping you get more of what you want out of the world. In fact, the best that we've ever had. And so once you begin to understand that and accumulate that, you know, basically accumulate it, uh, I think it it permits you that humility, that flexibility, that openness to other ideas and other identities and other philosophies uh, in in your perception. Whereas before, you know, you mentioned that, and I, I don't think anyone listening would argue it, but we live in quite a sick society. You know, we said before how much is conspiring to kind of pervert and distort and and uh steer us yeah exactly and and so you can from that perspective again you can empathize with people that develop a fairly rigid perspective because all of that is is scary and uncertain and you know you you want to develop a kind of a shell that allows you to bear all of that and i think a lot of people probably do it by ignoring it or or acting like it's not there and then then you're completely untethered from reality then i mean and this is this is the mpc sort of meme right because people who are these people that just ignore what's actually happening and develop a persona in relation to a world that's not even there i mean that's what's really scary about what's happening today as far as i can tell but when you and so i can i i can appreciate why it's difficult to do and as you said why very few people today have that it's almost like you either have that orientation, you're trying to maintain that persona in relation to a, like a false world, let's say, or you have an orientation that's most directed towards truth. And if that is your orientation, then humility is just a byproduct. You don't even have to try to be you know, humble as you're engaging in this search because you care more about figuring out what the truth of any given matter is than whether or not you seem right or you win the nice. argument. Yeah. Right? <laughs> So yeah, just, yeah, that's that's, probably, that's a really good point. Yeah, like I, I would, yeah, I mean, I'd say I'd take the humility, but it probably comes automatically. And really, uh, I'd say I almost don't give a shit what people think about me anymore. You know, and I've said it to quite a lot of people. Yeah, uh, because Bitcoin, as like as you said, takes you down the rabbit holes, and you go down some pretty insane rabbit holes in the search for truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can keep the mindset of checking your bias, you know, you can constantly, you can be led down some completely, you know, stupid rabbit holes. And, and I believe, again, uh, that's part of the conspiracy. You've got to add in those sort of misleading ones to to kind of make sure that the guys who are catching on to the truth are kind of stopped a little bit or, or mm-hmm. slowed down. Mm-hmm. Um and so, yeah, I mean, at this point, 
you're right. I don't think I, <laughs> I don't think I take it. With, I don't need to take it with humility. I yeah. do anyway, because I, I like to, I like to assure that assure whoever I'm arguing with that, like, I'm okay to change. Like right, I'm not right. arguing here for the point of making you look like an idiot. I'm mm-hmm. arguing for the point because I believe what I believe. And if you believe what you believe, let's argue, let's have a mm-hmm. debate. Like, mm-hmm. and, and the truth wins in the end, well, at, le- at least, if, uh, you know, a portion of that, um, the truth will come out and we move on, you know, like, cool. We've, we've achieved something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that, that's the objective, right? And, and all the better if it's mutually shared. I mean, those are the really good discussions with two people who genuinely have diverging views on something, but who both also genuinely, them being right is subordinate to finding a greater approximation of the truth. Then those are the really great conversations because you, again, yeah. you don't have that adversarial, like I'm, I'm just trying to beat you for some sort of ego, you know, or maintaining my... Yeah my perspective sort of reason but it's it's really like you know we both want to get to the bottom of something let's let's try to get to the bottom of it but i think you know i guess my um the point about humility is like let's say humility is a a virtue and you know i'm not saying the bitcoin rabbit hole uh negates the responsibility that we all have let's say to embody and express virtues in our life i mean there's still a a you, you know, life is lived everywhere, let's say, and there's always an opportunity to refine those virtues and express them. But it is interesting how, and, you know, this is tangentially related to Bitcoin, because I think Bitcoin is a profound truth, but I think potentially one of the powers of truth, and I understand that's a difficult word to nail, you know, concept to nail down, is that if, if you're like primarily oriented towards that or primarily subordinate to that, let's say, then some of the other virtues, at least it seems, you know, and this is just kind of bubbling up as a result of this conversation now, happen by default, right? So what, it, like, how interesting is it that, and this is probably like, you know, something about the hierarchy of values and virtue itself. It's like the one at the top, you would assume that it would, uh, you know, automatically hierarchically rank and therefore uh, inspire the behavior in a, that's in alignment with them or something like that. I'm, I'm butchering this a little bit, but you get what I'm saying? No, like it's, you, I get what you're saying. I, yeah. I, if, you, if, you, if you're really seeking the truth, then the, the virtue that is humility will, will be automatically a part of your behavior. If it is genuine, if that, if that, you know, orientation yeah. is genuine. Yeah. If you really are seeking for the truth yeah. and you aren't, like you said, being egotistical and right. Arguing for the point of arguing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think, uh, you know, this sort of virtue structure has to come from the top, which is truth. Um, but if you take humans right back to like basic, basic principles, we're just a species who wants to, you know, wants to evolve or wants to procreate. But to do that, we need food. And we need shelter and we need uh, air <laughs> and light and, you know, these little things. And then once you, you know, once you've got your foundations correct, or once you, once you build that nice foundation, then you, then you have these little sort of extra things that you might need. Like, I mean, right top level, you, you get a card, increases your productivity and uh, you become, 
you, you know you, you're able to gather more resources or something like that you know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm obviously jumping <laughs> quite far on the timeline there but i feel like bitcoin by fixing the money because everything you need to survive you have to either work for um find luckily or pay for mm-hmm. um and luck you i mean you can basically discount that to work right. for something is is uh effectively you're going to need to be paid for that anyway um and so when you fix the money you do fix the world i mean you fix everything like because we can't gather all our resources you i can't be a, a jack of all trades and be a master of all of them either right. can be a master of one sell all of that and you know uh, gather all my other resources that I need by trading off the the, the master skill, mm-hmm. um, and then you you know you you build on top of that and whatever and, and so money money is the the transaction medium like the you need it, it mm-hmm. like money makes the world go around it's it's there it has to be there mm-hmm. and so I think if you fix that it's something I've been thinking about recently and I'm like, I, <laughs> it might sound crazy, but I think Bitcoin literally is utopia then <laughs> because I mean, no one, everyone always used to disagree with utopian thinking, Oh, there is no utopia and this and that. But if you fix the money, you've, you, you almost fix everything. Yeah. Almost perhaps <laughs> on a long and, enough timeline, I think. Like, <laughs> and, yeah. And well, it's also like, what does fix the money mean? Does that imply that this iteration is perfect? Because I I think you're right in saying that almost like the quality of the money will determine the degree to which, you know, a market or a society can amply or abundantly or efficiently meet their needs and then layer on whatever actualization, uh, is layered on on top of that, you know, like the the meaning component of our lives. Because I, it doesn't seem like we're just DNA propagating machines. Like it seems like there's another element of us, the the, the one of meaning, of love, of you know, all of these. There's something that separates us from the animals. Perhaps it seems maybe, maybe. it seems that way. Yeah, maybe exactly. But it also, I also think it's the case that. I think Bitcoin is a dramatic improvement over any form of money humanity has ever had. But to call it perfect money, we'd have to both know what, you know, we'd have to know perfectly what money is and we'd have to know, you know, exactly well, what need, perfect money would be. perfect knowledge to call something right. perfect, yeah. Right, right. And so, so you, I, think, yeah. I think it's a dramatic improvement and those improvements will dramatically improve a lot of the problems that, you know, you and I could probably list out and identify here now and probably many that, we aren't, you know, currently that aware of, or we haven't cast, you know, our, our attention on quite yet. Um, but I think, you know, human beings are just, we're goalpost moving machines, right? Like we will always, <laughs> um, strive for more and we will always find problems with our current situation. And so I, I, I doubt, and again, like does utopia just mean everything is perfect and nobody has to want for everything and nobody is ever struggling because, you know, that almost seems like an NPC sort of environment too, in a sense, because you're like, yeah. well, if, if there's no struggle, if there's no striving, if there's no attempt to move from one less desirable situation to one which is more desirable, which kind of doesn't seem almost possible in a 
a, you know, a strict utopia, let's say, then are you even conscious? You know, do you not need the polarity of, of good and bad of, of striving and achieving of light and dark, all that kind of stuff for, for conscious and free choice, consciousness of free choice to emerge? Who knows, but it seems kind of likely to me. So I don't, my opinion is that we won't have a, a, a utopia in the strictest sense of the definition, but I think so many of the really deep problems that so few people recognize in the world today, which are, which do ultimately lead back to how we communicate and store value with one another. Uh, will be dramatically improved as a result of Bitcoin becoming a you know the the global monetary standard or outcompeting all the other uh, potential monies out there. So you know, but I'd say also maybe one way to push back maybe a little bit is that sure utopia is is probably relative as well and personal. Yeah, which I mean, then I, guess I think it, I guess would it, change what the do whole you mean by utopia? narrative. Yeah. Exactly. So what do I mean <laughs> yeah. by it? And what do you mean by it? You know, my utopia would be, uh, geez, I mean, I haven't thought that far into it, but like yeah, <laughs> maybe doing something I love, uh, something that doesn't make me feel like I'm going to work, mm. but getting paid for that and earning value so that I can spend my value elsewhere. Um, it's a, it's a place where I'm consuming everything I need that makes me, the healthiest version of myself um it's a place where i'm allowed to express anything i want uh and get good con constructive criticism back but not be like locked up for it or you know or it's like or just the ability to be playing golf every day or something you know something <laughs> like that like which is super personal but uh right. it, it might be different for you right well, if if you're saying that, you know, the the freedom to live the life that you choose and pursue meaning and pursue responsibility and pursue health and pursue loving relationships without any other impedance than your own struggle with yourself, let's say, and the struggle with the natural world. And I mean, there's always going to be uh, friction, no matter what domain, even socially, um, but, if you know, the optimize for all those things, if you're calling that utopia, then, you know. Sure, maybe we'll we'll get something akin to that. I I was more thinking of a theoretical utopia where basically everything, everything is perfect. <laughs> everything is perfect. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which, yeah, which yeah, you can't. It have ain't that. never gonna happen. Yeah. No. Um. All right. So just just back to the the timeline because I'm interested in kind of filling out the rest of the story. But you were having this experience and you were coming off of the the drugs and was Bitcoin a part of that story or did that come after that process had? Yeah, not completed? yet. I think that was the sort of the process that um, kicked me out of my NPC version. Um, Bitcoin Why? Because it just, it just showed yet. you that, you know, you can't trust the institutions and you can't trust. Exactly. You know, people. I people lost some trust. Yeah. Right. Right. Whereas I used to trust everything right uh, you know doctor knows like, what's best doctor government. knows what's best government you know everyone knows what's best uh they they're trained in that the experts exactly the experts um and so yeah so i went down and then realized like okay i need to change something um and luckily well maybe not luckily it could have come sooner but if i had found uh, psilocybin sooner it probably would have helped me more 
um, because that really helped me open my mind, tamed the ego, showed me that, you know, maybe things aren't what they seem. Um, but the, the very profound effects with psilocybin was that um, it helped me kick the addiction easier. Because the thing is, even though I came off of it, I had withdrawal symptoms for probably like two years. Wow. Um, you know, and my and it's so funny, like the physiological changes you go through. So on the drug, I was um I never felt cold. So I work on uh boats or yachts and we go to shipyards every now and then, and usually that's done in a winter time. You know, and and most of my winters were spent in the south of France, um, where you have nice. the mistral coming through, which brings extremely cold polar weather. Um, and I'm rocking shorts and t-shirts, <laughs> you know, every day. Like the yard workers are all looking at me like I'm crazy, but I couldn't feel the cold. I, like I and I and obviously when it got hot, I got super hot, like uh, just sweat profusely. Like I couldn't handle the heat, um, and yeah, about two, three years later, you know, I'm finally feeling cold again. I'm actually feeling cold tonight, which is, <laughs> I love it. I love feeling cold. You know, it's, <laughs> it's so weird to say, but like my, yeah. my, my, my sort of internal um, temperature has normalized. Mm -hmm. um, and mushrooms, I think, help that, but they also help with the addiction part of it. Like, I don't have any addiction to it anymore. Uh, but seeing as though it's one of the hardest things to kick, I, uh, you know, they're saying once a smoker, always a smoker, you know, you're always drawn to that cigarette, that nicotine, then mm -hmm. it always hooks you. So at the same time I gave up mushrooms, I also gave up smoking. Um, uh, sorry, not mushrooms, gave, uh, up the drugs. gave up the drugs. I also gave up smoking because the boat I was joining was a non-smoking boat. So I was like, okay, well I got to do it, you know? Um, and Mushrooms have helped me completely kick both of those addictions. No need, no, no need to take them anymore. Like I don't like I smell a cigarette and I hate it. Like I don't even want to go near it. It actually irritates me when I breathe in smoke, you know? Um, and so, yeah. So, I mean, then, you know, going from there, you're like, okay, well, this pharmaceutical industry has screwed us over and yet he has a random little plant in the, you know, helped me fix a lot of things. And that was, that sort of got things turning. And then, and then I kind of went uh, into, geez, I, I needed to learn how to invest now because I had this expendable cash that was just sitting in a bank account eroding away. Like literally mm. it was the start of um, when I think banks were first starting to introduce negative interest rates. And I had no idea what that meant. Like I had no financial literacy whatsoever. Um, and so I just thought, okay, well, I need to invest in something. And so I lived in South Africa at the time. My dad's a, he's a retired uh, mining engineer now. And so the influence there was gold because he was in gold mines most of his life. Right. And so I invested heavily in gold stocks. Didn't really know what I was doing. I just put them in there. Some went up, some went down, but I had skin in the game. Um, and so that kind of forced me to research why I'm investing in these companies and you know okay because they produce gold well what's gold like why is that so cool or why is that so amazing um why is it so sought after mm. 
and then I went down, well, okay, gold was, you know, money for thousands of years. It's this, uh, it's hard to mine, hard to inflate. Um, and then I don't know, how, I don't actually know how I came across Bitcoin. Um, but it was that sort of, it was that sort of time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't actually see Bitcoin at the time as this, um, gold replacement because i was a, i was a gold bug for sure after after yeah. learning about that learning about the fed learning how money's printed and you know basically that money is a scam but gold must be money it should be money mm-hmm. um i then just took a punt at bitcoin and i was on i was like on poloniex back in those days like a right, right. one of those exchanges where they still they still had the chat open on the side as well so everyone was just chatting and saying oh this one's going to spike next and this one and so you'd move the Bitcoin into that shit coin and, and just try to grow it. Like it was crazy. I had no idea. So anyways, I went, uh, I kind of traded that, that stuff to try and learn trading. Um, uh, because I felt like I was good at it, uh, which no one is you're like, yeah. you, I think you're lying to you. There's very few good <laughs> traders. Um, seems so easy. And yeah. It really seems gone. easy. Yeah. <laughs> and it's gone. Uh, yeah, so I then um, got then it became the the shitcoin casino of 2018 as well, the ICOs and all of that. And you know, I thought I was making all this money and uh, the Bitcoin Cash thing, which that one was more amazing than Bitcoin. And Ethereum was going to flip in Bitcoin, and you know, just all of that. I got caught up in all of that, yeah. and eventually, after that, something stuck. Something something clicked and something changed, you know, like my pursuing of truth or pursuing of knowledge uh, led me down to believe that maybe Bitcoin being the only, well, I hate to say it, but crypto at the time um, was the only one with no CEO or no management team or anything like that. And so I just realized, oh, hang on. I've been wrong about all of this stuff, you know, like, uh, what are those? I don't even remember those coins. Like they're going to fix this. Or there was like, mm-hmm. something was going to fix the, uh, the sort of storage of files store. J was going to fix storing right. files on the internet, like just a lot of shit. And yeah, then I, then I really got deep into Bitcoin and that was like a, an amazing, amazing eye opening for me. So amazing, in fact, that uh, I felt like I'd gone down another sort of uh, depressive, depressive time in my life. It's weird. It's like it's because kind of because of that, because be, of realizing, kind of like because of that. Yeah, because it's uh, it was kind of like I've just realized what a scam right. everything else is. <laughs> And I've been taking part in it. And it's kind of maybe like depress- depression because of guilt or because mm. of like you stomach, what an idiot for believing this crap. Or, But then I think probably depression because of a realization. And it's it's a very, very profound change that I went through. Um, you know, like, I mean, yeah, I Bitcoin literally changes you. And, and I think that just the, the physical or the, the sort of psychological change you go through is a lot to handle. 
Mm. And I think maybe that was the sort of depressive angle to that. Yeah. It's just a what? lot to handle. And then that sure. spurred on the thirst for knowledge and which was quite cool because then that brings you out of it again. And you're like, okay, uh, no, I was right. And I'm comfortable with what I'm doing now. And and then it takes, and then you feel at ease again. It's maybe right. more anxiety was the, the word, not depression. Yeah. Well, I mean, once you really, once the kind of the penny drops, I mean, that's when the journey begins. Um, and I can appreciate for me, like I was, um, like you was a gold bug and had familiarized myself with the problems of the world for many years prior to that. And so when, when the penny really dropped for Bitcoin, it, it was kind of nothing but uh, inspiring and hopefulness and, you know, just really like uh, invigorating. It's like, boom, like, you know, a light bulb goes off and you just got to, I mean, you know, every, there's so much to do now. There's so much to learn. Yeah. There's, there's, there's and you so can't not to, run to with it. To. Right, exactly. But it I carries... do think it, like in, in your case and in all our cases, and I think that maybe the only difference is kind of like the timeline it happens or the intensity or something like that. But I mean, we said at the beginning that kind of delineating between the fiat self and the Bitcoin self. And I think, you know, that moment that you just described probably is the Phoenix moment, right? Like the, yeah. you, you, you realize the truth or you see the light, you, you, you're kind of destroyed by it, at least your old self or an aspect of yourself is destroyed by it. And what emerges from that either spontaneously or due to hard work and dedication and learning and stuff is that Phoenix, which is representative of, you know, the new version of yourself more imbued with truth and hope and freedom and those sorts of things. And again, like, um, if any, anyone listening, to this is going to be, you know, they're, they're not, it's not going to be a surprise. I'm using that kind of language, but I do think that's why narrative and, and myth and story like those are the stories that resonate with us because they are very much how these things occur in our life in a narrative form. You know, if like if we want to narrativize the 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 Bitcoin rabbit hole journey or the one that you just articulated, it kind of mechanically fits that narrative, right? And I think it does that because not only is it true, but it's deeply, deeply, deeply meaningful when it's genuine. And that seems to be what so many of us are finding out, you know, just how genuine and or how uh, meaningful and how valuable it is when it occurs. Um, yeah, sorry. So go on. <laughs> no, that's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, and then it drags you and you, you literally can't let go anymore. Right. Uh, I, I like, it's, it's quite weird. Like, I mean, you go through, you do all the research, you do all the understanding, and then you, and then you find another aspect to it, the sort of philosophical side of things. And, you know, I've now maybe like, it's a, as an old maths teacher once told me, once you're bored of the subject, you know your work. And so I've always mm. used that throughout my life. Like once I get bored of something, I think I, I have a good understanding. I wouldn't say a perfect understanding right, because right. no one has a perfect understanding, but a good enough understanding that I'm now comfortable with that position. Um, and so I like what's next is uh, this, you know, I've, I, you understand Bitcoin, you understand the philosophical side of it and, and how it helps people change themselves. And the next step surely is using yourself to change the world. Mm. Like, uh, and one person might not be able to do it, but luckily everyone's going through the same path that I am. And, mm -hmm. You know, eventually we all come to a a uh, a synchronized truth, and from there, surely it's easy to change the world. 
when everyone's taking part in the same goal. And I feel like that for me, that's how I understand Bitcoin. It's, it's literally this drive to want, I, but maybe that's because I'm an engineer. Like I, I want to fix, like I love just fixing stuff, no matter what it is, if it's what kind know, of physiological, mechanical engineer. Yeah. So it's just this drive to want to fix things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's got to be the next step. And that's probably where, you know, Bitcoin leads us all is, or is, I mean, or is it is it by default? Uh, you know, is Bitcoin fixing us and therefore everything else, <laughs> or are we putting in the work to fix things because we understood Bitcoin? Right. Well, like so many things, I suspect there's somewhat of a paradoxical circularity where you're not really sure which is cause and which is effect. Maybe it's just a matter of subjective position in the process. You know, um, but of of course, I I agree with you and. You know, you're talking about those days, you know, being on Poloniex and, you know, the new shitcoin and watching all the charts so closely and and all the emotions that are tied up in that. And isn't it liberating once you kind of realize the the real game that's at play here to to not have to be drawn in with your attention, with your emotion, obviously with your capital into any of that stuff. I mean, everything seems to just become so much more clear focus seems to be so much more natural you know all all that noise just drifts away and you kind of think back like oh my god i can't believe how wrapped up i i was in all that stuff and how much time i devoted to it and now as as you say like now as the the real um like focus emerges and as the real you know game becomes clear and as the knowledge expands and expands and expands Like then you're just confronted with the, well, one, the simple proposition is create value, contribute and accrue value and figure out how to put yourself in a better position to do that through your own personal refinement, of course, and then figure out where, which companies and what areas and what industries, what projects you can uniquely plug that into to provide and accrue value. And, you know, it all becomes so simple, you know, it's like that bell curve meme where we're just back to being like work and receive reward, you know, like, just like <laughs> our caveman ancestors, you know, and there was all this noise and, 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 you know, complicated bullshit in between, but now we're, we're being brought back to just a very simple calculation. And I, I think among other things, what that's doing is it is freeing us up to think about what is our unique value. You know, first of all, you know, what do we want to pursue? What are we good at? How do we want to, you know, more for change or refine ourselves into like, what do we want to refine ourselves into such that we're able to generate more of a certain type of value, right? And I think part of the reason why there's a lot of interest in the philosophical or theological uh, discussions around this stuff is because, you know, primary motivations, what you aspire to be, and, you know, questions like who you are and how to, how to most beneficially change yourself to, to provide value is intimately wrapped up with those larger questions about what you should be striving for and what the highest values truly are. And so, you know, here we all are grappling with those kind of questions now. And so there's still like, there's still much to be determined, of course, like, as you said, we, we don't have perfect knowledge on any of this stuff, but it does seem that at least for the people who, you know, who have kind of the, the light switch has been flicked on the noise is just, you know, it, things are becoming very quiet and it's just about trying to focus in on what brings you the most meaning, where you can deploy it, where you can generate the most value and how that value, you know, can be rewarded back to you 
as a result of doing that. And everything else just seems increasingly unnecessary. It kind of like tames the chaos of the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't have to, you know, now that I'm saving in Bitcoin, I'm saving enough, you know, I'm saving so that my kids, kids, kids are fine. Mm -hmm. And therefore we can take everything slowly now. Yeah. Just chill out. Like, what do you want to do? What, who do you want to be? Work on that because we don't have to, we don't have to go through the rat race anymore. Like, you know, we're out of the, those guys are scurrying past us, (laughs) just waving (laughs) at them. Hey, don't worry. (laughs) I'm fine with who I am right now. You know, I'm working on something else. Right. And what's more liberating than that, to be able to have that type of freedom to make those choices, because, you know, we, 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 we criticize the NPC types all the time. And to a degree, rightfully so, because no matter what your circumstance, you can make the case that nobody uh, is uh, is free of the responsibility for determining their own fate, let's say. But you can appreciate that all the forces that are conspiring against people to, you know, to to increase noise in their perception and to distract their focus and to, you know, to make them unhealthy and to keep them on that hamster wheel just day in and day out and how detrimental and degrading that can be. Um, you, you know, you can appreciate it, but you can also, it's no wonder that it's so liberating when you can, when you, when you can extricate yourself from that, when you don't have to, you know, you don't have to worry about what Jay Powell is doing at the fed with interest rates. And you don't have to worry about, you know, what the stupid government policy is within reason. I mean, we're still wrapped up in a, in the fiat world, but we're, we're getting a taste and a, an assemblance for how it could be different. And we're engaging the tools that allow us at, at least as on an individual level to do that. And of course, the punchline is, is if the more people that do that, do that the more that macro uh, circumstance is starved Idea, of yeah. its ability to continue imposing its, its dictates on people counter to, you know, what's best for them, let's say, and what they would choose to do for themselves. Yeah. And just, um, uh, I had an, I had a thought there, um, but it kind of escaped me. It now, escaped so you right in the right in the middle of what you were saying. <laughs> um, so again, back to the, the. I don't want to lose the chronology of the story. So, um, oh, oh, I remember what I wanted to ask you about the. So I'm sure at this point you're familiar that you know you're not the first one to note that coming off of drugs, alcohol, cigarettes as a result of psychedelic experiences is fairly common uh now and that's super interesting but um you know no and also you mentioned how that kind of changed your perspective on a lot of things and and those are two i mean i talk about psychedelics all the time of course but yeah that was a that was a big one for me in you know i had a lot of this skepticism about how things worked and i was you know digging into you know the corruption broadly speaking that exists everywhere and then you know you have an experience like that and it just you know completely blows your head off in terms of what you thought reality was and what you thought, <laughs> you know, this whole human experience was all about. I mean, it was, again, it was very, it was very narrow before. And then, the, you know, you have those experiences and uh, it just, the aperture gets blown wide open and, and it does, you know, back to this notion of, of truth being uh, liberating in a sense and truth being the thing that, you know, most inspires you and truth being the thing that you, as a result of the the benefits that it is able to bring into your life, the thing that you most subordinate yourself to, I mean, those experiences, in my opinion, 
you know, and there's a you done the right way in responsible way, all all the, the disclaimers seems like it puts you in the presence of or generates a perspective or a type of perception or a state of consciousness that is more clear and truthful than anyone that I had previously experienced. And, and it's and it's a and weird kind powerful. of truth as well. It's like <laughs> it's a truth you can't really perceive <laughs> in in this environment. Right. So that's you know, how it's I a, feel. Like it's, well, it's so above us. Yeah. It's not like, you know, the tables in front of me, that kind of truth, but it's it's something deeper. Like you, you there's a felt sense of something that's far more fundamental than what you're used to experiencing as a cutoff subjective individual in the world you know and you you have these kind of unifying it feels very unifying at times and it feels very connecting at times and perhaps that's part of it but and you know a lot of people will obviously just shrug that off as you know um being intoxicated in some way but i think most people that have pursued this uh these experiences properly would smirk at that because they would you know we all kind of know that this is this doesn't it really doesn't seem like an intoxication of a you know just like an alcohol intoxication if anything it seems like a detoxification where it it, yeah. it it brings you further into you know clarity and truth rather than further rather than away from it as in you know the alcoholic stupor let's say and it helps you deal with trauma which yeah. i think shapes your being you know moving forward i mean the um Who's that guy, Gabor, Dr. Gabor Mate? Mm-hmm. He was on Joe Rogan, and we were listening to it the other day. Um, and he wrote a book on uh, addiction and yeah. trauma, and how childhood trauma sort of manifests into addiction later on in life. And mm-hmm. so you need to go back and you need to deal with the trauma. And I think, like you know, when you go through like a a really profound mushroom trip, for example, you could lie there and cry you know, about something it could be happy crying. It could be sad crying. It doesn't matter. You have this, I think you relive your trauma again and you, and you, you deal with it in mm-hmm. a, in a much more, in a way higher, uh, like a, a higher state of consciousness where you are, sp- you focused on that trauma and you, and uh, it's kind of like, yeah. it also t- tames the ego, but it, it like, it gives you um, huge amounts of empathy towards that trauma it's kind of like forgiving whatever happened to you to that the entity or person or thing whatever caused that trauma in the beginning it kind of gives you the ability to forgive i want to move on now i'm you know i'm i'm done with that trauma like i want to deal with it i want to move on i don't want to think about it again well not think about it again but i think i mean yeah and also disclaimer these are ineffable experiences. So words always fall short, obviously, but yeah. I think part, part of its power, you talked earlier about, you know, wanting to be aware of your biases, right? It, within the pursuit of truth is, is that right? Because biases are some unknown distortion of your perception that leads to a, a distorted perception of what is, let's say. And I think the psychedelic experience, one of the things, and of course it does many things, um, but one is it, it makes clear the distinction it, like it gives those things a separate existence because in your normal waking consciousness, like all that latent stuff, whether it's trauma, anxiety, 
stress, fear, like it just, it just clouds up our mind. We don't see it very clearly. And as a result, it's very difficult to deal with each one in isolation. But I feel like these experiences, they shift your perspective to such a degree and possibly even show you like, this is consciousness, absent limitation, absent holding on to anything, full letting go into whatever that experience is. And this is, and these are the things that are stopping you from doing that. Here they are. Ping, 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 ping. And maybe Which one they, do you want to focus on? Right. And maybe yeah. they, they generate like experience, uh, memories associated with those things, or maybe they take on a, an archetypal or a symbolic sort of um, uh, manifestation, but like, it's clear that these are the things. And then it's up to you. Like, do you have the courage to let go enough to deal with those things? Do you have the courage to confront them and have the will to transcend them and then the, the courage and the, and the determination to actually do so. And the, the process seems to be one of like ultimately letting them go. Now, whether you do that through empathy or forgiveness or what have you, you know, many, the, may, perhaps there's many methods, but the punchline seems to be you have to let go of them. And as you do that sequentially for whatever it is that's there, that your experience of that unitive or, or fundamental form of consciousness seems to be enhanced every time you do that to the point where once you've let go of it all, you know, I, you, I, I think you enter that, you know, what the, I think the Hindu faith might call like a Nirvana type experience, something like that, where you no longer even have the capacity to differentiate your awareness from everything else, because you're not, you're no longer holding on to anything that, that tethers you to an individuated form. You know, yeah. I know that that sounds crazy to most people. I think you'll probably, uh, yeah. you know, get where I'm coming from, but it is, I, I you know, the, the reason why I bring it up is just to say, I think these experiences, even if it, you, it doesn't go that far, it permits an isolated and more clear confrontation with those things that have been operating in the background that might've been hard to bring to the fore to deal with. And I think it, it's also, it's hard to bring to the fore because the trauma is such that uh, we, no, 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 I'd like to kind of describe it as like we've got, you, you call it, it's a calloused part of the brain. You know, right, when, you, when you're right, lifting right. weights and stuff, you get your calluses on your hands, you know, to protect your hands. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I think the brain does that as well. It compartmentalizes that bad memory and it, it kind of shuts it into a little corner of the brain. Uh, and it's hard then, to access. Exactly, but for good reason because mm. uh, when people do access them, I believe they then fall into addiction or something like it manifests into something else. Addiction, you know, or some, you know, you could be, you could, you could manifest into a murderer, or you know, it could, it could go any way. You're afraid, yeah, you're afraid of what it's going to do to you. I think and so a lot of people have stuff like that. I'm afraid to confront what's down there, so I'm just going to leave it down there. Yeah, lock it up. I don't want to mm -hmm. deal with that. Mm -hmm. And um, and I, th I mean, I'd say just chemically speaking, mushrooms actually enhance neural pathways in the brain. Right. Like, have you have you seen an image of yeah. a brain? I mean, I'm sure you have, but I'll just describe it. This I've seen these images of two sort of rings, um, and you have all these kind of uh, internal pathways within the rings. And one's on mushrooms and the other's not. And the yeah. other's not has maybe got like, say, a hundred different individual pathways in there. And this one's got thousands. Right. It's and just, the, it, the, the pathways are connecting different areas of the brain. 
exactly it's it's yeah. kind of like i think the pathway is probably a, a neural a, a neural pathway which is the firing of neurons within that pathway mm-hmm. and they somehow can pick that up um and measure that and the measurement on mushrooms is thousands of times larger so you know it might be that in real life we want it or in con like in in normal life <laughs> um mm. we would like to deal with that kind of stuff but the scar tissue in your brain could be so strong that right you know some people need to be hypnotized to go into those kinds of uh thoughts and things you know like you know really bad childhood trauma where like kids get abused and things they don't want to go deal with that again like that like imagine totally. being a kid for 15 years getting abused by your dad and as an adult, you've just found your life now and you, you, you're coping with life. Like, why would you want to go back down there? You know, totally. And I, and yeah. I think it's maybe not even for a want, it's just, you cannot, um, your, your mind just physically does not let you go down there because you're probably decoupled. It's uh, protecting you. Yeah. It's protecting you. And I think then the mushrooms have, has like two kind of, uh, two working, parts to it where one is okay let's fire up your neurons let's let's find some new pathways let's let's find the hidden entrance to that room which you've closed up everywhere else but don't worry we'll find it and then the other one is like okay now well you know it's the spiritual beings as well in there that are teaching you lessons like Mm. again that sounds super crazy but (laughs) there is someone there teaching you lessons Uh um and maybe that someone is your internal self Right, the the good self that wants to come out and say, "Hey, I'm still here. Let's deal with that." Mm-hmm. And then, you, so you you have the access to it and the ability to deal with it. And it, I mean, again, like you said, it's, in, it's there's no way to describe these with words. It's, yeah, it, yeah. You, you know, I, I had this. I had a conversation in 2018 with uh, Dr. Bill Richards, and he was he was the last actually to you know, in the, in the early seventies, before everything got shut down with the psychedelic uh, studies in, in academia, basically, he was the last to uh, perform like tests uh, or, you know, experiments with it, I think in the university of Maryland, perhaps. And then in 99, he and Roland Griffiths and another guy whose name escapes me, they, they basically were the team that, you know, got the go ahead from Johns Hopkins to start this stuff again. And Johns Hopkins and NYU and a few other places have been leading the charge since then. And it's been great. I mean, there's obviously been a, a psychedelic renaissance and I know there's uh, concerns that it's going to be either overly medicalized or overly commercialized and all that kind of stuff. But this is just part of the process. I mean, we got to get over the stigma first that these things are like dangerous drugs and then we can over the course of time, the truth will emerge. And I think, uh, you know, there'll be more places and more freedom to interact with these things as, as people choose. But in, in the discussion with him, and we talked about, you know, how spectacular um, the influence on drug abuse and alcoholism uh, at resolving drug abuse and alcoholism has been for psychedelics, in particular um, psilocybin. Um, he was saying, I mean, he, he's familiar with the studies you mentioned and it's almost like they're not even separate, right? It's like maybe by virtue of allowing opening up those pathways, that's part of what induces the the conscious experience that you have. Right. So it's like, it, it may be difficult to 
decouple them. But what was interesting, you know, what, what he said, and I think, again, this is not revelatory, but just was interesting to hear, hear him say it, because he's been present for so many of these transformations and so much of this therapeutic work. You know, he said, what's amazing is that, and so counter to the existing pharmaceutical model is that the benefit that these people receive is not a drug effect, right? They, they have the drug, the so-called drug gives them access to an experience and it's somehow something that happens in that experience that, you know, in many cases changes them for the rest of their lives. And in many cases, like you, you're kind of a perfect example because you said that like after the experience, like the, the emotional draw and even the, the smell and, and the association with cigarettes had a completely different meaning for you. Like it, it had an aversive effect rather than like an appealing effect and something, yeah. I mean, and something in that experience, something that happened an encounter, a realization a therapeutic process of some kind, who knows is what induced or changed that. And, you know, we're, we are not nowhere near to understanding really what's going on in that process, only to say that it's consistent enough to suggest that it is indeed something in that experience that is causing that effect, not, you know, the, the, you know, the pharmacology of a given substance, let's say, because yeah. you don't need to keep taking it. You know, it's, it's no. often, you know, once and you're done. I mean, I, I, I don't do it as often as I'd like anyway. I mean, I've got, <laughs> I've got some in my freezer just waiting, you know, but I, I do them at like at, at times when I want to. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the, no small the, thing, man. It's, it's, it's not a small it's thing. No, you, you, no won't do mushrooms, you won't do mushrooms twice uh, in, in in consecutive days because it's a it's a hell of a brain work. Like you, <laughs> it's it's draining. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. It's not like a. Uh, and it's challenging. I'd say it, I would. I wanted to say like a party drug, but even them, like even MDMA, even um, it's maybe different to to marijuana, but uh, MDMA is also a quite a a heavy it takes a heavy toll on your body or on mm -hmm. your mind mm -hmm. and so to do two days in a row it takes it takes a lot of effort um I, I i just find that i know what i'm going to encounter in that space you know after almost 20 years of experience with it and like even still i mean it's such a it's such a fundamental or truthful or challenging experience i mean you're you for me, it's really like you have to go through the gauntlet once again of dig, going down into the depths there and digging around and seeing what's there before you can access, you know, uh, the more blissful, let's say, aspects of the experience. And who knows what you've accumulated over the course of a year or two years or however long it's been. And, you know, for me, there's always and there's also the the fact that like some stuff doesn't get resolved just by virtue of having experience, like maybe some things do, but you know, there's going to, there's going to be other aspects of your life, even if they're purely aspirational. Like, I don't feel like I'm uh, fully meeting my potential yet. And, you know, so that might be with you your whole life, presumably yeah. it will be right. And so there's always going to be things that you need to recapitulate and confront in those experiences. And some of them can be rather challenging because, you know, you, as we said before, you, you rely on different aspects of your perception and your personality to, solidify enough to see you through the world and then you go into these things and you kind of put them all back on the table and say like are they all legit like and then you feel naked for the, the time that you do that and then you know 
you go through that process. So I, um, I find, I take it very seriously and I, I'm always nervous before them and, oh, me you know, too. Other oh, there, than, there's never a time I'm not nervous. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You and must be than, nervous. Right. To, I, you know, you know, to give it the proper so, respect. Yeah. yeah. Um, and other than, other than that, I mean, and other than a little, you know, a beer every now and then I don't, uh, you know, touch any drugs anymore just because the, the thing I seek the most is clarity. And I, I find even something like weed just kind of fudges up, uh, it, it introduces noise into the system. I might use it strategically occasionally if I'm trying to, you know, work on something creative or something, but um, that's one thing I really think I like about weed is that it, it is a huge creative driver. Mm -hmm. Um, I heard a, uh, I heard a story once about, um, the blues down in like New Orleans, that area, um, and how much they used to smoke weed down there mm. and the quality of music that came out, you know, and then yeah. the war on drugs came along and it's a, killed the industry i mean maybe not killed it completely but definitely suppressed it quite a lot well it came up in the at least in american culture with the jazz musicians in the 50s right i mean that's where it kind of took hold initially and that's why there was so much uh kind of racist rhetoric around it um ah, because yeah. it, it, it was the i believe it was like the spanish and the black jazz musicians who were uh you know smoking it as as part of their process let's say and it was um it was it was uh, what's the word demonized as re as a result of that kind of like a, in conjunction with you know racist uh, sort of uh, opinions and attitudes at the time um but yeah i sometimes you know, it, think demonized not as a result but as a as a goal to demonize that to then demonize those people to yeah, lock yeah. them up Sorry, that's what exactly. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like in, in the American prison system, it's proportionally completely messed up. Like, yeah. And so I, yeah, I feel like they, they did it specifically to try and catch. Oh, totally. I mean, I think, people. I think that's what the drug war, I mean, in the 60s, there was all this anti war rhetoric and, you know, people were very anti establishment. And I, I even think this was like um, documented. Like, I think Nixon started the drug war, I believe. And, you know, he mm -hmm. recorded, his whole time in office or at least a huge portion of it and i think um it came to light that you know the drug war was just how do we uh sweep up all those you know mischief makers all those counter establishment people like we need a reason to vilify or get rid of them and it's like well there's a high correlation between you know recreational drug use and these people that are um pointing out the corruption in the system and have anti-establishment yeah. attitudes so well, if we, if we criminalize the drugs, we can criminalize them and so, problem solved. And, yeah. uh, you know, the drug war over the last 50 years has been the result and it's been such a blight on humanity and so fucking destructive Massive. in so many people's lives and just absolutely atrocious and history will not be kind to it in my opinion. Um, but, and hopefully we're starting to poke our head out of it a little bit. You know, I, I think we won't really do that until Bitcoin has resolved a lot of the other issues in the world but at least you know the free flow of information from the internet perhaps has demystified a lot of this stuff and made it easier to counter misinformation about drugs and made it easier to showcase how damaging the war on drugs has been you know and those things taken together have started to change opinions on it but 
just, you know, just another example of the horrendous injustices that have been able to be carried out because of such a massive imbalance in, in power, you know, between the state and the people, largely, well, certainly amplified and exacerbated by, you know, the fiat money system and the government control of money. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I go even deeper. I, I don't believe the government runs the world. I, I think there's people that own the government. I mean, well, look at the look at the morons in government. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> sure, there's, sure. There's no way these guys are smart enough to do what they do. Uh, right. Well, whoever know, whoever, whoever makes those is, decisions, yes, exactly, that yeah. dynamic still empowers them tremendously. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think. I mean. I think it's a good thing that the the, the tide's starting to change a little bit. Um, I do. It's weird because I, you see it on Netflix now. There's a lot of this, uh, you know, Michael Pollan, Graham Hancock stuff. Graham Hancock's Michael an Pons, amazing yeah, one, and yeah. there's that uh, there's that other cartoon one where the guy's going through this. It's a weird series. Um, he just has these like kind of profound moments, and he just talks. And I guess they built a cartoon on top of that. I don't, I don't know. I haven't seen. But it. I feel like it's not mainstream for no reason you know i'm trying to so me and my fiance we're, we're trying to believe that maybe netflix are good and and they're trying to help us or help people understand it and push the narrative but i mean i remain a skeptic on that one i think hollywood and and media in general is so controlled that that narrative is coming out on purpose and i mean if you look if you look around like you you've seen you know you've seen most lots of companies are starting to form around psilocybin they exist already that you know the psilocybin stock is the next big next big thing mm. you know they're already in place and what what's the best way to do it like you just you get your companies in place first and then you drive the narrative mm. and people are like oh okay and then you you know the you you demystify it for everyone. You get them all um, comfortable with it, or you you know you take away the stigma that these are drugs and that they're bad, and you know you slowly incept it into people's minds, and then eventually, oh, okay, don't worry, it's free to use now, but you can buy it where you know you've got to get a license for it, or you know something like that. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's it's on purpose that this is all coming to light now. Uh, but like you said, I think. I think they they underestimate it because I think the the changes that people will get are so profound that it it will it'll go over and above what they're trying to stop or, or you know, whatever their agenda is behind this. Yeah. It's like like uh, Joe Rogan always says, he's like, the world should have a mushroom day. If the world had <laughs> one day where everyone just took mushrooms, everything would just chill out. Like everything like and a lot of people stop, like. freak the fuck out too though, you know, <laughs> yeah. a lot of people aren't ready for that shit no no um you know like i i know what you're saying and i i'm i tend to think that well, just what we were saying about uh the pharmaceutical system doctors and patients before everyone's got agendas everyone can choose either to appeal to the virtuous aspect of themselves or not. And this is inclusive of the patient, right? And I would say the virtuous approach for the patient would be to do what they can to promote health in all areas of their life. So they're not just showing up at a doctor's office and saying, I have a pain in my arm or I have something wrong with me. I don't know what, give me a pill for it. I want it, I want it to stop. 
And so everyone kind of doing that and perhaps even being incentivized to do that or, or subconsciously being incentivized through the, the corruption and the noise in the system, uh, gen, you know, uh, generates what we have, you know, generates the system. Like, sure, some people have more power to execute their agenda. And so they're able to push it, you know, from a, you know, push it on the more people, let's say, and Hollywood may very well be one of them. I, I'm, I'm sure there are agendas beyond the profit motive that operate in Hollywood. And this whole like pedophilia shit is just ridiculous. Like yeah, what crazy. the fuck is with the, this pedophilia stuff that's emerging everywhere. It's just like insane. Right. It's normalizing us to it. Well, I'm, yeah. Yeah. Trying perhaps. to normalize this right. maybe to protect themselves because they're now guilty of, of what they've done over there. Right. And so by right. normalizing it, they, sorry to, to cut you off there. No, I, and it's, I actually, by normalizing it, they just obfuscating their, or, or getting rid of the, the punishment that's coming. Right. And I, <laughs> I actually heard Andrew Tate kind of share that perspective um, on it all like yesterday. Um, and I'd never, you know, I'd never really consider, because I was always like, what could possibly be the motivation for this absolutely sick behavior? And, it being represented, you know, so blatantly in, in, in so many cases. And that, you know, that one kind of makes sense. It's like, well, we put it out there and, you know, so we're absolved of the karmic uh, consequences or whatever sort of thing. Yeah. yeah makes, because makes it's normal now. Yeah. <laughs> right. It makes, it makes some sense. But my, my point is just that like that most, you know, that exists clearly, but I do also still think there are many directors and film producers and cinematographers and all that kind of stuff that operate in so-called Hollywood or that produce movies and they create content that have nothing to do with any of that, but they still are at least somehow influenced by the incentive structure or the a broader agenda or that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's, you, who, who knows like what conspiracies exist, what agendas, what people's, whatever, but what I'm super, what gives me a sense of another sense of liberation, because like when I was younger, I was very much into all possible conspiracies and, and, you know, I think many are valid and over the course of history, many will come to light, you know, like false flags, attacks, false flag attacks and, and the like. But what I love about Bitcoin, I mean, you could all, Bitcoin is many things, right? Maybe it's also Bitcoin is anti-PSYOP money because you just don't have to care. Like it, because it but allows you cost money. <laughs> right, right. But you also, so you starve them in a sense by, by being involved in Bitcoin as well. And that's why it's anti-PSYOP money because you know, psyops everywhere, but how many, once you generate your own financial independence through Bitcoin, and when you start doing that, you know, when you opt out on other layers, levels, let's say, and you do that in other areas of your life, how much of it really influences you? And the answer is less and less. And then the question becomes, well, with all of the injustices occurring, what's the best thing you can do? It's probably to put all your effort into this thing that's allowing people to opt out because the more people do that, the less subject they are to the madness and the more, the more they starve the people or institutions or organizations or whomever that are actually carrying out this crazy shit. And the more they do that and the more they free themselves up to act virtuously and to pursue truth and meaning and value, the more they, you know, contribute to a culture who's doing the same. And the more that culture ultimately shines a light and drowns out and shames and resolves those sick fucks who are doing, you know, all that stuff who, you know, as a result of appealing to non-virtuous aspects of their selves or, or, you know, however we want to care evil, let's say, broadly speaking. Mm. Um, and so, 
I recognize that all the, a lot of things may be at play, but I don't allow it to uh, inject noise into my, my consciousness or my focus because the answer, the punchline is still the same. Amplify the solution, contribute to the solution, adopt the solution slash solutions. And that's, that's the way to do it. Not to get on Twitter and yell about fucking Balenciaga or whatever the flavor of the week thing is, because what's that going to do? Nothing. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I do kind of agree with that, but I also think, I, I do think that has, uh, when people are yelling about something, um, it generates noise, attention. For sure. Yeah. It generates attention, but then out of that noise comes a collective signal, which I think Bitcoin does for us as well. It like, we're, we're so, we, we're a minority now. I mean, Bitcoin is, but we're growing and, mm. and we're getting pretty oh, strong. Definitely um, minority. <laughs> definitely a minority i mean it's hard for people to even grasp what bitcoin can do like it's it, you know funny internet money right. um but as it grows as people become it i mean we're a collective species like we share knowledge i don't have to understand everything and this yeah. is this is something i've been doing as well as like i trust i trust uh people's opinions i i you have to uh you you could not, uh, but it makes your job a lot harder to try and figure out the truth. Mm-hmm. I trust until the the trust is broken. Yeah. Um, and so you know, once you've built up your community of trusters or trusteds, um, that grows stronger and stronger and stronger, and they feed off each other, and 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 you develop that big signal. And I think as Bitcoin grows into that, you know, it's just a huge. Because it's not a, it's not just a country anymore. It's not, it's not a specific religion. It's not a society of race. It's, it's everyone. Everyone gets involved in this, and everyone starts to see the truth, and that generates this power. Like you were saying, you, you, I'd say it, it forcefully takes that power away because people want the truth of uh, from the from those evil people that we were talking about. Uh, not just starves them. I think it wants answers. It, we, eventually, we, you know, we we come out of the, um, the sort of trance that we're in in, mm. in our in our sick society, and we want answers now. Yeah, uh, and that's I mean that's why I defend that. Maybe I'm taking the the opposite point of view on Twitter because I am angry on Twitter. I'm I'm sure <laughs> a lot of people who follow me know and and, but I don't. I, okay, I am kind of angry in real life, but. Twitter is kind of the outlet. Yeah. And I think um, that shouting and screaming about it as a collective eventually forms an idea and then we can run to that idea. Yeah. But maybe one or two people here and there, like it, that's just noise. It, it's not a big enough sample size to, to kind perhaps, of. Perhaps it, I, sh- I should um, rephrase it and say, you know, I think it's, it's good to recognize it and maybe even say your piece about it, just to be careful with how much emotion you allow it to draw yeah. from you. And and because you make a great point. And I, one, I appreciate that there is like a, so this, whatever this whole Bitcoin phenomenon is, like it is converging on or, or uh, like an ethic is emerging from it. And that ethic, you wouldn't be able to, that wouldn't be apparent if it wasn't juxtaposed to the things that it was critical of, right? So like 
and now, you know, not many people are going to need the ethic of like being against pedophilia to emerge, but you know what I'm saying? Like the, as we reconstitute our values and what society should look like and our philosophies and all these ideas, they're expressed through how people express themselves in a market, but also how people express themselves and how they communicate on a platform like Twitter. And so I appreciate that, that, that people call out things because it makes the ethic apparent and obvious. And then we, you know, and maybe one that's good just to be informed. It's good to see what it is. And, you know, it's also good to debate the ethic. Now, mm-hmm. again, like in this particular case, it's not really necessary to debate it, but <laughs> in, in certain cases, we might say like, what is the, the ethical or principal line here? Because what we're doing is like collectively is reconstituting all of that kind of stuff on a, on a more fundamental or more truthful basis. And so I really appreciate that process and, and people do have to be vocal for that to take place. So I think it's, it's better just to say, be cognizant of how much emotion or attention you're delegating uh, to these issues and make sure you're doing it in a way that you're conscious of and you agree with and you find productive towards your your most your highest ends let's say maybe that's a better way to put it yeah i agree like there's an end goal Mm -hmm. to your to your small amount of noise um to try and make the world a better place effectively Mm -hmm. i mean that's the you know that's the toxic toxic maximalists (laughs) (laughs) they're all shouting and screaming and but for good reason i mean i'm on that side of the argument i believe that toxic maximalism is is good inherently because we do call out scams um you know the the ftx thing recently i told a bunch of my friends get your money out you know and this was the signal within the noise thing like i had no idea about ftx i wasn't following it at all but i've curated my twitter such that that i have like my little circle of trust like i've not circle of trust but i built that community mm-hmm. of trust that i go into to get signal from the noise mm-hmm. and things started to to come to light about ftx and stuff and it, it you know something started to click and i just said guys I think there's something wrong with this FTX thing. You might want to just, you know, pull out and just see it, take a break from it for a while. Well, why do they um, have their shit there in the first place? Shouldn't you have told them ages ago? Oh, man. Not your coins? I do. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, people need to learn their lessons like me, uh, like everyone yeah. else. Everyone has to go through the lesson, uh, no matter how much we tell them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just seems like people have to learn the lesson the hard way. Um, and they did unfortunately but yeah i mean that signal came from there you know like and and i don't know how i don't know why i mean it just did and Mm -hmm. yeah the toxic maximalists (laughs) kind of helped a lot of people out i mean Corey clifton has got a lot of thank yous he's been killing what he's done i mean Mm -hmm. amazing i i like he he's admitted quite a few times that like he wasn't very much liked by many people in the beginning and i was one of those guys i thought who is this guy you know making all this noise on twitter and the more i listened and the more i listened it started to develop into signal Mm-hmm. And then I thought, geez, what an amazing human being. Like what a change, <laughs> what a change, a huge change is uh, I've seen. Well, my perspective of him has changed massively. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as long as the, as long as the end goal 
of what you're ranting about, whether it's on Twitter or in real life. I mean, as long as the end goal is inherently good or truthful, then or, I think or you're pretty aspiring safe. to be, at or least, at least aspiring yeah. to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I agree. And it, I mean, it's, we're in interesting times, right? Because uh, whatever you think of Elon Musk, that platform is probably going to be more receptive to more types of speech than it, it has been over the last however many years. And, uh, you know, so when all those so-called controversial opinions, which are not really controversial, they're just non-establishment, non-status quo sort of rhetoric, when, when that's kind of permitted again, and the marketplace for ideas is a little bit more free and open, um, combined with the emerging phenomenon of Bitcoin and I mean, who knows what's going to happen, but we, we live in such phenomenally interesting times. I mean, yeah, I always, I, I, I feel like, um, our time is going to be the fight for Bitcoin. Mm. And so, and my child, my, my boy is going to grow up and he's going to thrive on the labor that, that I've put into helping fight for Bitcoin. Yeah, and I think then they can come in, or that that sort of generation can come in and they'll be the and make changes again. The Renaissance, they can make changes without any impedance towards that change, or well, not any, but like a lot less impedance than what we have now. I mean, yeah, you know, like mushrooms, not legal everywhere. It's only legal in a really small few places, but we know that it helps. You know, but we have to fight for that mm -hmm. uh, so that many people can experience it later on. I do think and that's a a big that places a big responsibility on our shoulders, you know, we're, which we will probably forever fall short uh, in with, you know, in relation to, but because when, when you say that, like the first thing that comes to my mind is like our actions and how we go about doing this, like no one person is, is, you know, uh, critically important, obviously, but our, the way we engage and interact and behave and approach this thing collectively will be apparent and it'll be looked back on and, you know, it begs a question like, how do you want to see how you behaved or dealt with this phenomenon in this period of its existence? And this, of course, this applies to just being a person generally, but in relation to this big momentous historical event, I feel like, uh, especially those of us who are quote unquote early to it, and who are in some way contributing, even if it's just, you know, being an uh, out of the closet Bitcoiner, I think uh, it matters like how we go about doing this stuff, which I, which I think a lot of people recognize, which is part of the reason there is, you know, that ethic that I referred to before, like the reason why it's people even care that it's there and to have those conversations because everyone's trying to determine uh, an ethical way to be or act or make decisions uh, in this era, in their life, in relation to this phenomenon. And so if we needed any more reason to try to hold ourselves to a, a higher standard, I mean, I think that's definitely one of them. Our, our kids and grandkids will look back and be like, you know, uh, thank you. <laughs> how, well, yeah. And how did you act during this whole thing? You what know, side like, of history were you on? You know, that's well, the question that you need to answer yourself right now. I think right that at a know, minimum, but also yeah. like, even if you were on the right side, like, you know, where were you at How with virtue you... and responsibility yeah. and, 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 you know, all the things that you did or said or, or supported, like that'll, you know, we're, we're in the internet age now. So it's all going to be there 
to see like this video presumably will be watchable a hundred years from now. And uh, so they'll, they'll, we'll, we'll, there'll be a lot to judge us on. And so I guess the point yeah. is, is like, how do you want to be judged? Yeah. And that, yeah, that's super important for me is like, that's one of the major changes that I went through, you know, like not giving a damn about the rest of the world before opening my eyes to Bitcoin, like uh, that fiat mindset of just wasteful, yeah, you know, girls, drugs, booze, uh, just, just a horrible, well, horrible way to live, you know, you. like, <laughs> um, but then, you know, coming out of that and, and uh, want like, like wanting to have good virtue, wanting to put my, my flag down and say, this is who I actually was. Mm -hmm. Notice the change, go back into my history. If you want go all the way back and watch my timeline change and why it changed. And then what coincided with that? You know, that's the, that, I think that's what, what, one of the, like, that's what the history books are going to, going to be like, you know, how we all track what happened in 1971, <laughs> right, right. What happened in 2009? Oh, fuck. And yeah. I think it's going to be profoundly like, like uh, the new Renaissance, it will be studied for thousands of years. Yeah. And one, if, it, if Bitcoin goes that far. Right. And, and Should do. again, if, if, if this is successful and if this continues the way it's been going, I mean, a renaissance that there is no precedent for, I mean, obviously we're using the, the so-called first renaissance as kind of like a, an analogy or a way to contextualize it, but the, the, the substrate or the, the components are, are there to do something that's just, again, has no precedent, you know, something that's happening simultaneously on a global level with a mechanism or a tool or money that is you know orders of magnitude more superior than anything humans have ever had combined with you know the other technological prowess that we've developed over the intervening you know several hundred years you know all bets are off basically and yeah uh, i think that makes it all the more important that we are very considerate with with how we act and how we approach this stuff because all of that is there's a lot of uh hope wrapped up in that and possibility but there's also a lot of chaos and yeah. it's probably going to matter how how we show up and face that chaos <clears throat> how we organize that chaos yeah yeah exactly and harness it basically oh and harness it yeah mm -hmm. well that's deep <laughs> <laughs> i didn't think this was where this conversation was going to go tonight to be fair <laughs> i had no idea but i never do so yeah, um, that's great. Did you, was there, you know, anything you wanted to hit or anything, you know, what you had in your mind to discuss? Did you, did you want to nah, touch I mean, that I, before we shut it down? Or? Yeah, I just, um, I wanted to give a, a little shout out to my South African Bitcoin group. Um, they were, we joined, I just joined this group on Signal once. I don't even remember how I got invited into it. Um, but the, the sort of debates and and chats that we had on there you know a lot of people say like on bitcoin twitter has helped them out like it's kept you sane in this environment like i mm -hmm. I, I like to thank those guys because the the sort of collection of knowledge whether it's you know somebody looking at the financial system or we've even got some devs in there like um crypto convert which is the uh, the south african company that's 
started the um i don't know if you know the pick and pay chain it was all over bitcoin twitter at one point but pick and pay is just like a massive supermarket chain in south africa oh and yeah. Crypt- yeah, yeah and crypto converts you know managed to get lightning payments to you know transact or, or so we yeah. could transact on lightning and buy your groceries and then we've got other guys like Arman in in bitcoin ikasi you know starting up a little uh, circular economy in a tiny little location in Mossel bay you know uh bitvice starting up which is a pure bitcoin no custody you buy it it goes straight to your wallet like these things are starting up but but the sort of I don't know. It was. It's kind of like therapy again, like um, that sort of uh, sanity bubble within that insane, chaotic world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's had a. It's it's had a lot of. It's helped me with a lot of things as well. Yeah. Well, man, it's it's yeah. it's feels amazing to connect with people, develop genuine relationships with people with whom you're so aligned in terms of values. And you're so aligned in terms of the interests, you know, that those values are, are directing you towards. And so, yeah. and, and also the, the unifying uh, kind of the gravity of being on a shared mission. Like it, that's, it has the, ever, that's the really thing. Yeah. Yeah. Has that's there ever a big been one. like a bigger shared mission than this one? And it, again, it's happening to all colors, creeds, everything all over the world simultaneously. And it's just, and it's also we've never like, had that before. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like all these, you know, the signal groups, the Twitter groups, the telegram channels, all this stuff. It's it's like revolutionary cafes everywhere. You know, you think yeah. of like revolutionary France and the, you know, they were getting together in the cafe to hatch their plans or whatever and talk about philosophy and how to reconstitute things. I mean, this is happening like on all these digital platforms all over the place with people that are not only you know motivated and all that kind of stuff but as this conversation has revealed have been kind of woken up like invigorated with with hope and possibility and potential and responsibility and dedication and courage like a genuine i mean the the renaissance if anything is a internal individual renaissance that's being shared and amplified through interactions with one another who who a similar phenomenon is happening to and there i mean What's more satisfying than that? I mean, the whole reason why I do this, you know, and why so many of us interact, you know, online or on Twitter or, or in these groups is because there's so much alignment. There's so much shared interest. There's so much we, we can and desire to learn from one another. And, uh, and those, the, the, the quality of, and the, the degree of genuineness, genuineness, or whatever <laughs> that word is of those relationships is so rare, you know, because we've come up in this, in the fiat world where yes, you know, you have loving relationships and great friends and all that kind of stuff, but to, to be so dialed in, you know, to be so on the same page, to be so, you know, moving in the same direction, at least from my perspective has been a very rare thing. Um, as much as I've appreciated, you know, so many of the relationships I've had in my life and that they're just so common now, like I've said it many times before on the podcast, but like I'll meet someone at a conference you know, they'll come up, they'll, they'll say hi or whatever. And, you know, within five minutes, we'll realize that we're basically best friends. You know, like yeah. we're, you have so much in common. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, uh, I mean, I'm so grateful for it, but it's just such a unique and fulfilling thing to have that happen so uh, frequently now. Yeah. Um, and all that taken together is just 
so invigorating. And, and as you said, like we all have our own problems and this whole shift that we're wrapped up in, I mean, there's going to be many times where we get down and we feel like it's, you know, it's too much or, or whatever. And just knowing that there's so many people that we can share that with, or who can help us out with that, or who we can lend our experiences and our insights and wisdom to all that taken together just makes it so easy, so much easier. And so, yeah, of course it's therapeutic, but, uh, it's just a, it's just a, another resource that you can leverage to try to move toward the things that are most valuable and meaningful. And it's, again, I just gratitude is the the feeling that most often prevails for me. Me too. Yeah. I'm so thankful for, I'm so thankful that I became a Bitcoiner. <laughs> I mean, I'm just so happy about it. Like it, it is, it's the best thing that could have happened to me. Yeah. Isn't that wild? And I suppose, I mean, a lot of, a lot of people say the same thing. It sounds probably cliched now, but it literally is. Yeah. Well, I mean, all the, all the Bitcoiners will just be nodding in agreement and, and yeah, all the people, all the normies will, you know, <laughs> be thinking we're insane, but you know, Hey, hell, what else is new? They'll get there. They'll buy it at the price they deserve. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, man, this has been a you know super enjoyable conversation and uh, hopefully we get to do it in person someday and um, yeah, carry, carry on from there. So thanks for making the time today to. and best of luck with everything. And we'll talk again in the future. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me on. Appreciate it. All right, brother. Take care. All right. Cheers. See ya. 